Now, when I do this, I don't want to hear a bunch of pitiful groans or, or whimpers. Uh, but I just want a show of hands. And, and this is, I, I do actually want to see hands. Uh, raise your hand if you feel like you are past your prime. Past your prime. You'll, if, you, if you don't know, you are not there yet. Okay. Um, so, so I saw a bunch of hands. Uh, who, who feels like their best days are still ahead of them? Okay, a few, few of you. All right. Now those uh, those results are not very surprising. All right. Well, um, th- those results were not really that surprising to me because um, a few weeks ago we were spending several several weeks on a Wednesday night looking at Ecclesiastes, and that's kind of a depressing book anyway. Uh, but some of the stuff that we talked about in there uh, made me think that a lot of people in our church feel like uh, maybe maybe we're past our prime. And then I've, since that time, I've had other conversations outside of class, outside of, of uh, church sometimes. And people just seem to be like, man, I've, I'm, I'm getting older. Think, things are going too fast. And, and, uh, and one, of the things that I, one of the themes that I keep hearing is we're past our primes in our lives. Many of us are. And for many of us, you know, we may actually have more years behind us than in front of us. The, the, the psalmist says in Psalm 90 that uh, the days of our lives are 70 years, or if by strength, 80 years. And, and so basically, if you're past about 35 or 40, you probably have more days behind you than in front of you. That's kind of an uplifting thought, isn't it? I probably shouldn't have started out the message that way on such a downer, but you know what? That's, that's part of life, isn't it? Uh, life goes by fast, and when we're young, we can make maybe the most of our opportunities. Uh, we don't do it, and then all of a sudden we wake up, and here we are, middle-aged, senior adult, wherever it is that we are in life, and it's, how did I get to this place? And so then the question becomes, how do I serve God when I'm past my prime? How do I serve God uh, maybe when I have more years behind me than in front of me? And the answer, I think, is really quite simple. We serve God in our prime, or past our prime the same way we should have done when we're in our prime. Now, there are a lot of texts that, that we can look at today, but we're going to confine ourselves to a few short verses in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5, and we're going to pick up in verse 15. And as you read through the Bible, with just a few exceptions, the instructions to the young Christians is pretty much the same as the instructions that are given to the aged Christians. And I think the reason for that is because we're meant to follow God all the days of our lives. In other words, just because you can retire from work doesn't mean you can retire from being His disciple. So whether you're uh, not quite to your prime, you haven't peaked yet, maybe you're, man, these are the best years of your life going on right now, or maybe you look forward and you say, well, I don't have a whole lot of time. You look back and say, I've got a lot of calendars that I've checked off today. Uh, No matter where you are in life, I want to encourage you to follow God. You do what God's told you to do no matter where you're at. Now, where we pick up in Ephesians 5, uh, Paul is telling the Ephesians to be imitators of God. And then he fleshes that out. And where we pick up, he's uh, fleshing that out a little bit more. And there are a few things that I want you to see uh, that God wants of his people. So if you found Ephesians 5, please stand with me in honor of God's word. And we'll pick up reading in verse 15. Paul says, Therefore, be careful how you walk, 
not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Thank you, may be seated. Now, the first admonition that I want you to see today is that we need to redeem the time. We need to redeem the time. Now, you see that in verse 16. Uh, my, translation, my translation reads, make, make the most of your time. But in the Greek, that's only one word. It's that word, redeem. Now, does anybody here do couponing? A few of you maybe flip some coupons. You know what it means to redeem something, right? You take a, 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 a coupon in and you exchange it. We, we buy something else. That's what, this, that's what this word redeem means. It means that we buy up the time. Now, in this context, it means that we make the most of the opportunities that we have. Now, I want to set up camp here for just a little bit because there are some very important things in these, uh, in these verses. And the first that I want you to notice is there in that, uh, uh, look at verse 16 again. I want you to notice the word time. Time. Now, there are two Greek words that are translated as time in the New Testament. One of them uh, speaks of time like we usually think of time. The ticking of the clock. Day after day, week after week, year after year, moment by moment, it's just passing by us. The other word that's translated as time uh, is also translated as season or epic, and it has the idea of a specific uh, period of time that is specially suited to some work. Okay, uh, when I was growing up, we used to, I used to hear a phrase a lot, make hay when, when the sun's shining. Okay, there's a certain time, there, there's a season when you plant crops. There's a season when you harvest crops. There is a specific season or time, uh, time frame that's suited to a specific purpose. The second of those two words is what Paul uses here. He says, make the most of every opportunity, every season that you have. But I want you to notice something in, in verse 16 that's very interesting. He uses the singular. He says, make the most redeem the time. So how do we explain this? Does this mean that we only have one opportunity? And just as long as we do real good at it, that's all we have to do in the Christian life? No, that's not what he's saying at all. I think what he's saying is that that all of life is really an opportunity. In life, we recognize uh, that there are certain seasons that present opportunities to us, right? We look back to the past and maybe we see some, we think back to some, uh, some opportunity we had Maybe it's with joy because we took that opportunity. We made, uh, we made some good use of that time. Maybe we look, we look back in the past with remorse because we say, there was a golden opportunity that I missed. Maybe we look to the future and say, you know what, I'm excited of all these opportunities that are going to be coming my way. I don't know what they are yet, but there are going to be seasons that are coming, and it's really got me pumped. I, I'm excited about those things. But how few of us are excited about the here and now. Because here and now seems very ordinary, doesn't it? We get up, the alarm clock goes off, we get the kids ready, we go to work, we go out, uh, feed the cows, whatever it is, and it just seems so ordinary. It just seems like it's, it's monotonous, it's mundane. But I think what Paul's saying here is that our life, singular, is an opportunity. It's made up of, of many individual moments, and each of those moments is a chance 
to, to honor God and to glorify Him with our lives. And what Paul is saying here is that we need to make the most of those opportunities. So no matter what stage in life you are, right now is a good time to, to bring glory to God. Right now is a good time to make an oppor- uh, the most of the opportunity that presents itself. So if you're a student, be the best Christian student you can be. If you're a parent, be the, be-, be the best Christian parent you can be. If you're an employee, be the best Christian employee that you can be. If you're a grandparent, retired, uh, whatever it is, be the best Christian witness in whatever sphere you find yourself in. Be the best Christian, best Christian witness that you can be. Why look at verse 16? Because the days are evil. We live in a rough time. And I think it's only going to get worse. Uh, there's a lot of evil in the, in the culture that pushes on us to, to, to conform to the world. And it's in those times that we need to, uh, to stand up for Jesus. And if we do this, I want you to notice verse 15, it's not going to happen on accident. Verse 15 says that we must be careful how we walk. The idea there is, is diligence. In other words, we must pay attention and be engaged and not just lollygag through life. You know, so we, most of the time we just go through life and we're very unthinking. But he says uh, we, need to, we need to pay attention, but not just pay attention. Look at what he says in verse 15. Therefore, be careful how you walk. Not as unwise men, but as wise. We need to walk wisely. Well, what's that look like? Pastor really tells us in verse 17. Verse 17, he says, that's going to look like understanding what the will of the Lord is. Now, when you think of the will of God, probably what you think of is guidance, don't you? You think of a, of a road map that's laid out before you. You think of spiritual direction. You think of, a, a, of direction in some way. But notice that's not what Paul's talking about. In fact, many times whenever you read through the New Testament and it talks about knowing God's will, much of the time he's, he's more concerned with who we are more than what we're doing. See, he's more concerned with what kind of life you're living than whether you go out and buy a Ford or a Chevy. He's more concerned that we live a holy life than, we are, uh, than he is about the choice of college that we He's more concerned that we redeem the time than what restaurant we choose to eat at. Now, does God have a plan for where we go to school, who we date, who we marry, all those things? Yeah, I believe that He does. But when we talk about the will of God, much of the time, He's talking about our character. So how do you find out how God wants you to live? How do you find out what the will of God is? I'll give you a hint. Hopefully you have one with you today. It's called the Bible. This is where you find out what God wants, right? It's not through, uh, uh, not through anything else. It's through the Word of God. Be familiar with His Word. So the first thing that we need to do is we need to redeem the time because the days are evil. The second thing, if you'll notice in verse, uh, verse 18, the next thing he says is that we must avoid drunkenness. Look at what he says. And do not get drunk with wine. I don't know. I, I can't... I don't see any reason to soften it in the first place, but there's no way to soften it. He says avoid drunkenness. Now, this is closely related to redeeming the time because if somebody is drunk, uh, they're not making the most of the opportunities they have, are they? Now, when, when, people, get, when people get drunk, whether it's with wine or beer or some other alcohol, uh, well, let's put it this way. If you don't drink, 
you're an anomaly in today's culture. If you don't drink, you kind of stand out because uh, we live in what you might call an alcoholic culture. People drink all over the place. And Paul says, don't get drunk. Why? Because that is dissipation. Now, this word is translated as dissipation. Your Bible may have a different word there. It's translated elsewhere in the New Testament as a riot. If you've ever been around a calm drunk, not very many times, most of the time when people are drinking, uh, they get kind of loud, don't they? They get kind of crazy. They start, they start mouthing off. They think that they're 10 feet tall and bulletproof. They're very riotous, tumultuous. And if you think of those times when you've been around those, those people who are drunk, what Paul says is exactly right. They're riotous. There's dissipation there. There's an old author by the name of John Trapp, and he writes a drinking of all the three out. And here's what he says. That is, ale out of the pot, money out of the purse, and wit out of the head. And, if, and I, I've been around, you know, when I was in high school, uh, I think I was about the only person who didn't drink. Everybody else go out, they go out to the fields, they drink. And you know what? I've never seen anybody improved by the use of alcohol. I've seen a lot of people uh, wreck their cars. I've seen a lot of people ruin their lives. But I've never seen anybody improved by drinking liquor. Paul says instead of being filled with alcohol, you should be filled with what? Look at verse 18 again. He says, do not get drunk with wine for that is dissipation, but instead of that, be filled with the Spirit. And that's the third thing. We should be being filled with the Spirit. Now, I mentioned this before, but it bears repeating. This is not a one-time event. You know, so many times, especially in, in the Baptist life, we don't want to come across like we're a Pentecostal. So we say, well, you know, uh, I got the Spirit at, at, at my conversion. And you did. He indwells us. But we say, well, I got the Spirit at my conversion, and that's good enough for me. But what happens is this is not something that, that happens once and then we... We live off of it the rest of our lives. And instead, this filling of the Spirit is an ongoing thing. It's to keep happening. And don't think that this is some kind of manufactured event. That if we just have the right people praying over us, if we just have the right kind of music getting us worked up into the right frame of mind, that somehow we're getting filled with the Spirit because, and we don't see this in, in English as much, but this is a passive verb. That means it happens to us. But also, it's an imperative, which means it's not optional. So Paul says, you need to be filled with the Spirit. Do it, but you can't make it happen on your own. So how do those things work together? Well, I like the way that uh, one author put it. He says, the baptism of the Spirit means that I belong to Christ's body. The filling of the Spirit, that's what we're talking about here. The filling of the Spirit means that my body belongs to Christ. Now, I thought that was a great way to put it. It's not getting more of, of the Spirit. It's the Spirit getting more of us. Okay, so he says... Uh, be filled with the Spirit. And naturally, this filling of the Spirit shows itself in the way that we live. Look again at verse 19. He talks about speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So it's going to change the way that we talk. Now, it's a fruitless exercise, I think, to make a hard distinction between psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We don't know what the early church service was like exactly in the early church. Um, and there's some overlap there, I think. But what he's saying is, uh, when you're filled with the Spirit, you're going to talk about God. You're going to worship Him. You're going to talk about what God's been showing you from His Word, and you'll encourage other people to do the same. He also says, uh, if you'll move on in, in uh, verse 19, singing and making melody in the heart. So it's going to change the way that we sing. 
if you are filled with the Spirit, there's going to be a song in your heart and a song on your lips. Have you ever, have you ever just had a real great experience with God? What do you do? You naturally, you're humming a, a, a song. Maybe it's a praise song. Maybe it's a hymn, whatever it is. You're singing it. You've got it in your heart. It's going through your mind. When we are filled with the Spirit, there will be, uh, there will be music in our lives. Now, this is an encouragement to me because I can't carry a tune in a bucket. But he says that we need to sing and make melody where? In our heart. Now, this, I, I, I just want you to know, this is not saying, you know what, if you don't think you can sing, well, be quiet in church. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is that our hearts need to back up our words. Have you ever come to church and you're singing the song and you've, sang the same, you've, you've sung the same song 200 times and all of a sudden you start thinking about all the stuff you need to do after church and you're still singing the song but your mind is somewhere else? You ever done that? Or you sing that song, wherever he leads I'll go, but in your heart you're saying, unless he calls me to the mission field, I will follow God unless he tells me to do something I don't want. Our hearts are far from him sometimes. We draw near with our mouth, but our hearts are far from him. Isn't that, isn't that what the Pharisees did? They, they drew near to God with their, with their lips, but their hearts are far from him. And so when it's talking about making melody in our heart, that's talking about an inward reaction. It, it, should, it should back up our words. The third thing he says, look at uh, verse 20. Always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. When we're filled with the Spirit, it's going to make us thankful. We'll be thankful. In all things, for all things. Now, that's not to say that things don't hurt. That's not to say that uh, bad things don't happen because they do. What this is saying is that that it'll help us have a, a different kind of viewpoint so that we can recognize that God is overall. And even in the most painful situations, He's somehow working for I read one author that uh, he was in the in the military, in the Navy, I think it was. And they sit down in the mess hall, and as was their custom, they gave thanks for their food. And then right away, there was, there was some Christians there, and there was a guy who was basically a pagan sitting across from them. And they gave thanks for the food, and, and one of the Christians immediately started complaining about what he had on his tray. And the pagan basically said, well, didn't you just give thanks for that? Then shut up. You know, it, it'll help us to, to have a thankful heart. Ingratitude and being filled with the Spirit don't go together, is what I'm saying. And the last thing he says in, in verse 21 is that we need to be subject to one another. That means that we put other people first. Okay? Now, Adam Clark was an old uh, commentator, and he said, let no, man make, let no man be so tenacious of his own will or his opinion in matters indifferent as to disturb the peace of the church. In all such matters, give way to each other and let love rule. How many churches have been split up because they argued about the carpet? Who cares, right? I mean, you walk on it. whoop you do? Or they, they argue about how long the candlesticks are or, or whether the preacher should wear a tie or whatever it is. The type of music, I mean, there are all so, so many things that people, people say, well, I'm willing to die on this hill, but really it's a matter of preference. And Paul says, if you're filled with the Spirit, you're going to... You're going to put somebody else first. Now, that's not to say that we can't stand up for our convictions. But it is saying that, that if you're looking out for number one, you disregard other people, you're doing the opposite of what Paul teaches. You know, as I read all this, I was taken back to a, a different time and place, and I thought of one of these. 
an old bucket. Now, my grandma and grandpa used to have one kind of like this. It didn't look so rough. It wasn't so bent up or dirty. Um, but I can remember back when I was... Grandma and Grandpa had an old well. And it wasn't a well, you know, like we have now that pumps the water. They had indoor plumbing, of course. But when I was a kid, they also had a well that you dropped the bucket down in. A lot of you remember doing that. And I, I can remember because we didn't have one of those. We lived out in the country and we had a well, but it wasn't one like that. But I can remember going to Grandma and Grandpa's house. And Grandma always had a bucket, kind of like that one, that she set on the counter in the kitchen. And every once in a while, we go out, and I get to go with her, and, and I thought it was so neat. We'd go out there to that, to that curb, that concrete curb, and she'd drop that bucket down in there, and she'd, she'd pull the rope just like so, and it turned the bucket, and it filled with water, and we'd pull it up, and we'd take it into the kitchen, and she always had this Tupperware cup. Remember the ones from back in, like, the 70s, that weird brown, yellowish color? She had one of those that had little handles she'd put on the side. And i get a drink out of that bucket, and boy, that, that water is so, so cold and so good. And all the times I drank out of that bucket, not once was there coffee in there. And not once was there Mountain Dew or anything else in there. It was always water. They will. Duh. Why? Because what's in the well came up in the bucket, right? That's the same thing Paul's saying. What's in the well, what's in our heart, is going to come out in our lives. We need to be filled with the Spirit. We need to walk with wisdom and, and redeem the time. And when we do all that, that stuff gets in us, and that's going to come out in the way that we live. That's going to come out as a, a, a Christian grandparent. You know what? You, you think, well, I've done my duty. My kids are out of the house. They've been grown. They've got kids of their own. I have grandkids, great-grandkids, however many generations it is. You say, I've done my duty. Wrong. You can be... You can be a tremendous Christian influence to those kids. What's in your life, what's in your heart is going to come out in your life. If you're past your prime, and, and the majority of the people here, I don't know if you looked around, the majority of the people here raise their hands. If you are past your prime, you feel that you're past your prime, I want to encourage you to keep following Christ. Maybe you haven't reached your prime yet. Keep following Him. You say, you know, I'm, I'm getting older I just can't do the things that I once did. You know what? Your ministry may change, but you still have a ministry. Maybe you go to more of a, a mentor type of situation. I'm listening to the Bible on CD in my truck, and I'm to the book of Exodus, finally. And one of the things that you remember from the book of Exodus, uh, Moses leads the people of Israel out. And there's a scene in there where he's out in the wilderness... And his father-in-law, Jethro, comes to see him, brings, the wife, uh, brings Moses' wife and, and kids. And what Jethro sees is Moses trying to do it all. And people are coming, and they, they, they surround him for the whole day, just telling him their problems. He's judging between them. You remember this? And after a while, Jethro finally says, Moses, what are you doing? And so Moses tells him he's, he's trying to sort out all the problems. And he says, what you're doing isn't good. And then he counsels him. He's older, wiser. He's a mentor to Moses. Moses, how do you like to have followed him as a leader? Moses leads the, the children of Israel for many, many years. Joshua comes onto the scene after him. He takes on the mantle of leadership, but before he does that, Moses mentors Joshua. He takes him under swing and shows him how things go. In the New Testament, we see Paul. He's Timothy's father in the faith. 
And so we have these, these epistles written, First uh, and Second Timothy. We have the same thing to Titus. Paul is writing to these young pastors. He counsels them. He mentors them. Paul tells the older women in the church in, in uh, the book of Titus, the older women in the church should mentor the younger women. He doesn't use the word mentor, but that's what he says. He should, they should uh, pass that stuff along to the younger ones. Pass the wisdom along. Don't put yourself on a shelf. And maybe you're, like I said, maybe you're in the prime of your life right now. And you're like, you know what? I'll, hopefully I don't reach the prime of my life for a lot of years. I'm going to peak when I'm about 85. And then just, you know, I'm just in the prime right now. You know what? You still follow God the same way. You do the same things. Redeem the time. Get God's Word. Find out what God wants you to do and then do it. Don't be drunk. You know how many how many days and years are wasted with hangovers? Don't be drunk, he says, but instead be filled with the Spirit. And when you do that stuff, it's going to come out in the way that you live. What's in the well is going to come up in the bucket.